This is Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett. This chapter is entitled, A Brand New Start of It. And that's exactly what I needed, a brand new start of it. It's uh, late 2002. I'm trying to figure out exactly when all of this uh, kind of went down. But I had been having a bad time finding work. I was flown out to New York and told by Sirius that they couldn't afford to hire people. I had a job in Sacramento, California at the CBS station. And then Opie and Anthony, this comedy duo out of New York, suddenly decided to send somebody in a church, uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, to have sex with each other, and they got fired, and a whole bad thing happened there, and CBS decided no more uh, of that kind of programming on their radio station, so all of a sudden I wasn't getting that job. And one thing after another I wasn't getting. It was just like fate had turned itself against me. There was nothing going my way. And I'm sitting there just trying to, you know, suss things out and trying to get by and figure out what I'm going to do next. You know, it's really a terrible place to be because you always fear that day that that's going to happen. And now at this point, I'm uh, early 60s, okay? And you begin to think about, well, who's going to want to hire me? You know, and is this that moment I always thought about where all of a sudden I was going to find that I couldn't find work or that nobody wanted me anymore? But I couldn't let that stop me. To begin with, I hadn't saved up enough money. God knows I had made enough money. I mean, if I had saved my money, I would have uh, a couple of million right now. But I didn't. Uh, I spent it on dinners for comedians and on gadgets and gimmicks and things like that, thinking this thing would never end. And you find out that, well, maybe it is. And now I had uh, two apartments, as you know, in this uh, apartment building in San Francisco. One I use for an office, one I use for my home. I closed down the office. I got rid of that apartment. had to start uh, spending less money than I was spending. And uh, I had to kind of clean that out, gotten myself a, uh, a storage locker up in Petaluma, California, and took a lot of the stuff up there. And uh, now I was down to one apartment. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I'm trying everything that I can. Anytime I hear there's an opening somewhere or something I could do, I was Johnny on the spot. Now, let me, let me tell you a story because I have to set it up in order to go to the next phase and tell you the next part of this story. When I was working at Live 105 in San Francisco, one of the nicest things that ever happened to me in this business happened. You know, usually people who are competitors have nothing good to say about you, you know, because you're the mortal enemy, all right? You're fighting them for the buck, you're fighting them for ratings, you're fighting them for audience, and um, it's, it gets pretty cruel out there. And uh, you don't expect this sort of thing to happen. One day I get a letter, and I believe it was a letter. Uh, I'm still kind of in communication with this guy, so m maybe he can correct me on it. But I think it was, it was a letter, I, as I remember it, because this guy had penmanship. 
that was i mean he must have gone to a uh, uh, you know a, a calligraphy school because it was it was gorgeous just gorgeous and it was addressed to me just the way it was addressed because of the calligraphy i thought maybe it was an invitation to something and i open it up and it is a letter from dave logan and dave logan is the program director of kfog kfog which was our competitor Closer competitor than a lot of others. Sometimes you're a talk station, but we're a music station. Sometimes you're a country station, but we're a modern rock station. In this case, they were classic rock. In our case, we were modern rock, but we shared audiences. And so we were competitors. And so I figured, what what is a competitor doing writing me? And I open it up, and the letter is one just saying, I just wanted to write and say that I listened to you on many mornings. And I really enjoy your program, and you really do a great job of it, and I just thought you should know. And I, I just felt that that was, you know, I was taken aback by it. It was the nicest thing that a competitor had ever done in my career. Usually in this, in this business, it is so dog-eat-dog that nobody will admit that their competitor is doing a good job. And he wanted me to know that I was, and that he appreciated it, and that he enjoyed what I was doing. And I really, it always resounded with me as being something very special. And I can't remember if we actually got in contact with each other, but I think I wrote back, not in as good handwriting, and said thank you, or maybe I called him and said thank you. I can't remember. You know, it's a long time ago. But to show you how things kind of go 360 degrees, uh, he left KFOG. Uh, I don't know why. I can't remember the reasons why. And uh, I am now out of work. And I'm reading all the business periodicals to see what's happening in the business, where there might be an opening for me. And all of a sudden, I notice this thing, XM, which was the competitor to Sirius who I'd been talking to. And XM... Um, was looking, uh, had gotten rid of their head of comedy programming. And I said, wow. Well, if they're looking for a head of comedy programming, um, hell, you know, I mean, you can't do better than me. I'm, I'm the king of comedy of San Francisco. I know everything there is about comedy. I know every comedian practically in the business. This would be the perfect job for me. No, it wasn't an air job. But, you know, maybe at this time of my life, a desk job wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And then I go to look and see who would I get a hold of over there. And lo and behold, the head programmer at XM is a guy by the name of Dave Logan. This guy sent me a very nice note years earlier. So I knew I had a, you know, a, a, a person who was on my side there. So I, I think I called him up is what I did. Either that or I wrote him first. I Usually I write first and then I call because I'm very shy. And uh, he said, yeah, there is an opening here and you'd be perfect for that. And I went, okay. He says, send all your material and stuff so I can go in and make the case and whatever. And, you know, uh, he, uh, he, we, we talked many times. And uh, he says, it's getting closer. You're the perfect guy for the job. I don't think we've seen anybody that was better for this. And then all of a sudden, I don't hear from him. And I pick up the periodicals, and he's been fired at XM. 
you know, that's just the story of my life at this point, you know? I get really close to something, and then some piece of fate jumps in that I have nothing to do with, and it completely throws me asunder. So I, this, this, you know, this was really it for me. You know, I'm just going, if there's a, I guess I must, if there probably is a God in heaven, even though I'm kind of an atheist, there must be a God in heaven, because if there is, he hasn't liked something I did and he's throwing all this at me because no matter what I do, and, and many times I had a job, okay? And then for some strange reason that had nothing to do with me, I didn't have a job anymore. So I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm getting more and more depressed, you know? And, and, you, and I'll tell you what I did also that I think I mentioned this before. I had been on an antidepressant called Zoloft because I had gone through a bad period of depression. And it made me very even-keeled and so on. The one thing it did away with was my aggressiveness. And so I had stopped it, and now I was just getting aggressive. You know, I was writing letters to people and, I, you know, and whatever. But now this latest thing, uh, it's just another thing in it all. Now, I'm starting to talk, as I do regularly, to my friend Steve in New York. And I'm talking to Shecky. And both of them had the same piece of advice to me. And that advice was, why don't you come out back out to New York? This town knows and loves you from your past history in New York. Why don't you just come on out here? I'll bet there are jobs for you out here. And I went, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd have to close everything down here, get an apartment there. Steve says, don't worry about it. He says, I would love to have you come work for me. Now, let me tell you what Steve did. Steve uh, had a business, and it was he had first worked for me over at Midnight Blue, where he became the head of sales, all right? Head of sales. He was sales. Uh, and uh, then he left Midnight Blue, and he, he started his own shows on the Least Access channel, which were basically, it, the, the whole idea started out with a really fun idea. He was going to do a show once a week with nothing but old commercials on it. And he figured that was no way to make money. So then he figured, well, maybe I can run ads instead and nothing but commercials. And uh, he then came up with this idea, well, I can maybe sell time to like sex products because that's who I've gotten to know doing Midnight Blue because he was still kind of at Midnight Blue. But all of a sudden he was starting to say, well, and these people here, uh, they have a uh, a phone answering, you know, phone service, you know, one of these dial of sex calls or whatever. And so I guess what, you know, again, I've often said that the best ideas never come by design, they come by accident. And in this case, this thing just fell into place. And before he knew it, he was running something like, oh, I don't know, 12 hours a day on, uh, um, not that, six hours a day on cable television on the uh, the least access channel and it was nothing but commercials for sex uh, stuff mainly these call you know dial up sex lines these uh, call in sex lines where you'd be charged by the minute and the advertisers came flying to him because when they'd advertise on these shows and it was nothing but commercials so they were all competing with each other but somehow they did good business 
he was forced to put in a little bit of programming, so every two minutes he would put in 30 seconds of uh, a scene from a porn film cut down so it was soft so it could play on cable. And so he was right. If you ever came to New York and you saw these shows, which were nothing but commercials for sex lines, that was Steve's show. And he said, why don't you just come to work for me? Come to New York, work for me. I'll pay you to work for me. He says, you know how to edit video because as I, I don't know if I've told you enough in this show, and we probably will do it as we, uh, as we wrap up this thing. Uh, but my hobby had always kind of been doing video. Every time I go on a vacation, I would do a video of the vacation. And I learned how to edit and how to be a pretty good editor, as a matter of fact. And so he said, why don't you come to New York and I'll hire you to edit my uh, my shows and to edit my commercials and do that. And I said, well, at least it's something to do. He says, I can't pay you much. I said, listen, something is better than nothing, okay? So I decided, and I think it was had to be maybe late 2002 if I'm doing my edition correctly. If not, somebody please correct me. I decided maybe that's what I got to do. So I decided I would move to New York. And Steve said he would put me up at his place. He and his uh, his uh, girlfriend at the time, later to become wife, um, had an apartment. And it was a nice enough apartment with a, with a room that could be a guest room. And I would stay there. And by the way, I wound up staying there for nine months. But we'll get into that as time goes on. Huh? Anyway, so I decided, okay, I will do that. I will move to New York. Okay, okay, and so I um, I moved to New York, and I started working for Steve, and grinding out these sex commercials uh, for late night cable television, and then putting together the shows for him for late night cable television, and um, it was a pretty in a way it was a pretty lonely life for me because I had come back to New York and all the friends that I had and so on really weren't there anymore to any appreciable extent. And uh, quite frankly, I didn't have enough money to go out and have a good time. I remember going out on a date with an old friend and kind of thinking to myself, boy, this is getting too expensive because she drinks wine. You know, when everybody, anybody goes out to have wine with you at dinner, it, it's going to up the price maybe 25% because they charge you a fortune for a glass of wine. And I'm counting every penny that I've got. So I, I can't have the good time that you'd have in New York because I... So I would I would stay at that studio for you know twelve hours a day editing stuff and and uh, doing whatever I had to do and um, it was uh, it was uh, I didn't mind the job uh, sometimes it could get a little difficult because Steve although I and to this day I I miss him so much and and love the guy so much but you know again it was that old story. Uh, that I had with Midnight Blue. Working for somebody who's a friend and having somebody as a friend are two entirely different things. And maybe the best thing is to never work for a friend because it doesn't help the friendship all that much. So anyway, I uh, I uh, had certain, you know, he was difficult. He he Everything had to be perfect with him. And I had to go back and re-edit and re-edit and re-edit. But what else did I have to do with my goddamn life? Well, what I didn't have to do with my goddamn life was trying to get myself some work. And it was important that I get myself some work because I didn't want to keep doing this forever. And I would, you know, I, my purpose in going out to New York was to find something in New York. 
So in another kind of twist of fate, I had been on and off talking with a guy in New York City who had been a fan of mine when I was younger and was the program director at WOR, which was one of the premier talk stations in its day. It was starting to kind of get sluggish, uh, and uh, but it, still in its day, I mean, it was the, it was the station that had Gene Shepard on it and uh, a lot of other famous people, and now it's still a, a major talk station in New York City. At least if you said you were on WOR, everybody knew what it was. And so I got a hold of David, and I said, uh, David, uh, you know, I'm in New York now. Is there anything I could do, like some part-time work or whatever? And he said, um, sure, you know, I'll see if I can get you some part-time work. And um, I believe I did go in and start doing uh, some part-time work. People go on vacation, and Alex Bennett would be the guest host. But as fate would have it, again, fate is always that horrible, disgusting, vile thing that has been affecting my life. He gets fired. So I'm through doing fill-ins over at WOR. And I'm only doing them occasionally, but it was enough to bring in a few bucks. And then in those days, it paid pretty good. You know, you do one shift, and that'd be $300. In those days, for $300 for me was a lot, a lot of money. And so, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, David was out, and now I wasn't doing the, uh, the that particular work any longer. Uh, now, there is something else happening. There is this German idea starting out in Chicago. And now it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger into what it's going to be. And they're calling themselves Air America. And I say to myself, well, now that would be a perfect fit for me. I'm the old, the greatest lefty of all time. So I figure, who, who's, who's running this thing? And they've moved their offices to San Francisco and the head of programming is a guy by the name of, you ready? Shall we all say it together? Because this is the way life is. Dave Logan. He had gone from losing the job at XM to going to Air America. And uh, Air America was a really strange idea. There was this guy by the name of Dubrovny, I think was his name. Uh, and he, uh, he had a lot of money. And he happened to like a... a talk show host by the name of Mike Malloy thought he was just terrific, a lefty guy. And he figured he wanted to find a place to put Malloy on the air. And then he decided, well, why don't I just start my own network, and then I can put Malloy on that. As it turned out, they started the network, and Malloy was never on it till the end. <laughs> but that's kind of how it started. And now uh, Dave Logan was in there helping piece this whole thing together because they were going to go on the air with a 24-hour-a-day network with all these shows. And so I gave him a call, and he said, let's have lunch. And I remember we had lunch at this wonderful, if, if uh, David was listening to this, you remember the crab place? We went to a great crab place, and we had lunch, and he, we talked about it. And he said, yeah, you'd be a perfect fit for this. You know, you're, the trouble is they're going after so many people who are non-broadcasters. You know, they're talking to like Al Franken, Janine Garofalo. I mean, people who are not talk show hosts that uh, they need. They have Randy Rhodes, but they need, a, 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 they need more talk show hosts. And he said, I'm going to put your name in and say that I think that uh, we should bring you on board to do a show here on Air America. And I said, great. Well, I guess I said great too fast because the next thing I notice, 
Dave Logan is let go, which, you know, is true of why Air America failed in the first place. You know, anybody that were professionals somehow didn't make the cut. And this guy was maybe one of the best professionals, one of the best programmers, one of the best organizers in the business. And, of course, he had to be let go because I guess he didn't fit in with the rest of these amateurs because it was real amateur night over at Air America. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, maybe I dodged a bullet there. You know, if I had gone to Air America, um, who knows what would have happened. You know, I would have been there for five minutes and then I wouldn't have a job again. And as things turned out, a lot of people got let go over the years. And eventually, as you know, the whole thing fell apart. And everybody was dying for this thing to work because all the lefties wanted something that was a uh, leftist broadcast version of Fox. And they had it. They had uh, Rachel Maddow and they had Janine Garofalo and they had Al Franken and... uh, um, uh, they had a lot of real lefty people. Uh, everybody except, of course, Mike Malloy. That's uh, very strange. Very strange. Anyway, uh, so I, that's another job I didn't get. Okay. Now, I'm still talking to Sirius. I'm calling a guy over there by the name of Jeremy Coleman, who's the program director, almost every other week. And I'm saying, what's what's happening? And they said, well, get a hold of me another couple of weeks, and get a hold of me in another couple of weeks, and you know, get a hold of me in another couple of weeks. And uh, it, you know, it, 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 they kept stalling me. They kept saying, you know, we're trying to make budgets, and we're trying to get the money together for those budgets, and so on. And uh, I said, uh, oh, boy, this is not going to happen either. But that was a job, by the way, that I wanted. Uh, Yeah, it would have been nice to have a show on WOR, but that was terrestrial radio and, you know, a station that was kind of having problems. And, you know, uh, uh, Bernstein was out over there. So, you know, uh, how was I going to get in? Uh, Air America, eh, what a crapshoot that was. Uh, but, But Sirius was something I saw a future in. Satellite radio, a whole new way of doing radio and a whole new way of doing broadcasting. And if I could get a show there... I could do the kind of show that I really like doing, you know? So anyway, uh, it, 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 was, it was just kind of hanging fire. And by the way, the Jeremy Coleman I talked to you about, who I kept talking to, was a guy that I had also met earlier in my quest looking for job. He was the guy that was the program director when Opie and Anthony pulled this stunt. He was working for CBS at the time, and when Opie and Anthony got fired, so did he. So he wound up at Sirius. So, you know, it's funny, but but all these things, people keep coming back into your life, and they, uh, they're all there, but uh, somehow none of these things were really helping me. Uh, but later on, you'll find out that the serious thing, of course, you, if you know my career, you know that happened. But anyway, but it's interesting how it happened, and that's still a, a story for... For, uh, for another day. So anyway, it, uh, I'm, I'm still doing the, the editing of the video, and I'm still sleeping on the fold-out bed at, uh, at Steve's house, and uh, it, it's going on uh, quite a few months, okay? And uh, finally, um, I decide I've got, to, I've got to do something about the apartment in San Francisco. You know, I can't keep paying even then it wasn't that much. It was about $2,300 a month, but I can't keep paying $2,300 a month 
for an apartment in San Francisco, so I've got to go close that apartment down. So I told Steve, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. I'm going to go close down the uh, the uh, uh, the apartment in San Francisco, and I'm going to well, I'll, well then I'll come back out here and uh, you know we'll continue with our little relationship, and I'll keep seeing if I can find work. And so I flew back out to San Francisco, and my old girlfriend, Schmoody, as I called her, Kathleen, helped me kind of clear out the place and get rid of all the stuff. And I guess the last thing I got rid of, she I think she took the bed, or somebody else took the bed. I can't remember. The last thing we left was the bed so I could sleep there the night before I left. And how I was going to make my trip back to New York was kind of interesting as well. My friend Shecky, one of the people who said, you got to come out here because, you know, you're going to be able to, people remember you're going to be able to find something out here. He kept encouraging me that way. And he was also a good friend, too, because on the weekends when I had weekends off, I would leave Steve's place and go stay at his place just to have a different place to stay. But, you know, I never lived my life this way. I'd always had an apartment. I had always had a car. I'd always had... All those things that make you feel stable and that your life is stable. And now I don't have that anymore. And now I'm sitting there moving all this stuff into storage and cleaning out this apartment. And I think I managed to do it in like two days. It was an amazing thing. And thanks to Kathleen for helping me on it. And I got it all taken care of. But the reason I mentioned Shecky was Shecky decided, look, what I'll do is you've got to get certain things. I had some... uh, uh, equipment I wanted to give Steve, these trinities that I had, these television studios in a box, which I felt would really help his operation immensely. So I rented a minivan so that I could store a lot of stuff in it, and Shecky flew out to California, and Shecky and I were going to get in a car and travel back to New York. So I closed down the place leaving my life behind in San Francisco. Sold my car at the last moment so I would have a car to use up until the time I left. But Sold my car, uh, pocketed the cash from that, and uh, set out for New York to make a brand new start of it, just like the song says. And the trip across America was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because I was with Shecky, And Shecky is a great road partner. But we'll talk about that trip next time. This has been Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett.